Good morning, church family. My name is Kristen Yee. Please join me in reading our passage from Hebrews 4, 12 through 5, 6. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you, as he says also in another place. You are a priest forever and after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're talking this month about the ministry of Jesus and how we see it fulfilled in both his first coming and in his second coming. And last week, if you were here, we looked at his prophetic ministry. He comes as the word of God. He comes as a manifestation of the word of God, God revealed to us. We looked at Jesus as a prophet And a prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God. A prophet speaks on behalf of God to men. This week, we're going to look at another ministry of Jesus that that Kristen read for us in the passage today, the, the ministry of Jesus as a priest. And a priest is kind of the opposite. A priest speaks on behalf of men to God. A priest is an advocate, if you will, for humanity before God. Jesus is not just a prophet, he's also a priest. He comes with this priestly ministry. And the points that we have today are kind of similar to last week, if you were here. I want to look at our need for a priest. I want to look at the, the problem with priests. I want to look at the kind of priest that Jesus is. And then last, how you can know that Jesus is your priest, or how you can know Jesus as a priest. So first of all, why we need a priest, why we need a priest. We all have this impulse in us to justify ourselves. We all have this impulse in us to, to be declared righteous, to say that we are all right, to say that we are okay, Um, In the 2016 presidential uh, election, Donald Trump was asked if there was anything that he needed to repent of. And he said, no, there's nothing I need to repent of. 
And I think the reporter, whoever asked him, was kind of taken aback by that. And he said, well, well, if ever I do anything wrong, I just do something right to make up for it. Now, people kind of scoffed at Donald Trump for saying that. But actually, I think that's the way that a lot of people think about righteousness, right? (laughs) Yeah, sure, there's some things that I'm not proud of. There's some things that I've done wrong. But look at this list of all these things I've done right. Like, look at all this good that I have done. Then you'll see that I'm really a righteous person. You know, the only problem with that, though, the only problem with that is nobody really wants a thorough investigation, you know. Nobody really wants to, ha- to hire the third-party investigator to say, okay, let's see. Let's see how righteous you really are. Let's see what's really going on inside your heart. You know, I've, I've used this example many times, but I, you know, I've asked people for years, you know, if your heart could really be exposed, like if we could really see in your heart, see all the good things you've done, all the good things you've done, sure, but also all the bad things you've done. All the good and noble thoughts and intentions that you've had, but also all the bad intentions and thoughts that you've had. Who, who would be down for that? Who, who would want that third-party investigation? Who, who'd be willing to say, yes, yes, let me, let me expose my heart to the whole world and you'll actually see how good I am. And I was like, most people know when my heart is cut open, what it actually reveals is I'm in trouble. And that's where the passage begins. When the word comes, so this is kind of going to the prophetic ministry of Jesus. When, when God shows up and God brings the actual order of truth up against us, up against our heart, when the, when the word of God that's living and active, that's sharper than any two-edged sword, it pierces us open, it, it breaks our hearts open, it divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow, And here's what it does. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart, right? So when that is known, when the thoughts and intentions of the heart are cracked open, nobody takes that deal. It says, no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must, to whom we must give an account when God really reveals himself, his word, his order, when he shows himself, when the, when the prophet speaks, if you will, when our souls are really open, no one says, yeah, I'm righteous. Look at all these good things I've done. Look at all this good list over here. No, we're, we're so, we'd be so embarrassed, we'd be so ashamed of the bad list. We had an event on Thursday night, the Spotted Cow, and uh, it was an awesome event. It was a really special, if you've been to the Spotted Cow before, this one was particularly powerful. Um, it's a men's event and we eat a bunch of barbecue and then sit around fires and we, we talk about a different topic. And, and this topic this month was courage. We talked about the topic of courage. And we said that real courage happens when you get to the end of yourself. When you, when you stop being confident in yourself and you start taking confidence in the Lord. And there's this actual beauty. There's this strength that comes when you have this breaking point when you realize how small you are, when you realize how needy you are, when you realize who you really are on the day of accounting, if you will. There was a, we had several panelists that came and, and one of them, a pastor friend of mine, is a guy named Mayo Sowell and he, he actually, before he became a pastor, he was in prison uh, for selling drugs. And you know, he had been a very, he's a sharp guy, he's a great athlete and he, he'd gotten in trouble obviously selling drugs. 
<clears throat> very confident person. And he said he got to prison, got in this jail cell, and they delivered the papers to him, you know, the, the sentencing to him. And it said, the United States of America versus Mayo Sowell. And he said, man, when, that, when I read that, it just hit home. He said, there was nobody I could call. I mean, he had these powerful friends and all these athletic friends, these guys. He said, there's nobody I could call. There's nobody I could turn to. I mean, the United States of America. He's as confident as I thought I was. You know, it was just a force that crushed me. And I just had to take it. Well, well, his impulse in that moment was to have a priest, right? This is our need for priests. His impulse in that moment was to get an advocate, to somebody to advocate for him, somebody to say, this guy's really good, this guy's really okay, this guy, like, I can vouch for him, he's, he's not as bad as he looks, he, he's gonna be okay. We all have that impulse, especially when we start thinking about standing before the Lord. I mean, you know, the United States versus Mayo Sowell, what about when you stand at the judgment seat of God? We all have this impulse to say, I, I need some advocate. I need somebody to stand in for me to say this, this, pro, this person's not so bad. This, this person is actually really good. I can vouch for them. So that's our need for priests. We all have that impulse. We all have that need. But there's a problem with priests. There's a problem with priests. And the problem with priests, if you, if, to get a good priest, you need someone that has really two things. They have to have, first of all, standing, right? If you want somebody to vouch for you and to, to make an appeal for you, then whoever they're making appeal to has to respect them, right? They, they have to be righteous. They, they have to have standing. They have to have a sense of authority, a sense of righteousness themselves. But they're a really good priest when they also have understanding, right? When they can sympathize with you, when they can have empathy towards you. They, they have to have a sense of standing and they have to have understanding. And this is really hard to find, right? You know, you've all been in a situation, you ever, you ever like spill your soul to someone? You see, you know, you say, oh, this is my life. I'm just, here's this thing. I'm struggling with this. And you can kind of tell that they're uninterested, you ever have that? You ever go see a counselor maybe and you're paying the big hourly fee <laughs> and you're paying that and they're saying, oh, uh, what were you talking about again? I'm sorry, I hope that goes okay for you, you know. Well, that's a bad priest, right? You don't want somebody like that. At the same time, maybe you've had an experience where you really bare your soul to someone and they actually start weeping too. They start crying with you and they start saying, oh, I know how bad it is. Oh, I've been through this too, it's, it's, it's horrible, I'm so sorry, but, but you know what, you're gonna be okay. And, and the Lord is strong through these things. That's a, that's a good priest. And I'm so grateful for our pastors and elders and so many of our group leaders here that they have those kinds of hearts. And, and actually the, that kind of heart comes in, in large part from their own pain, their own experiences. You, you want that in a priest, right? You want, you want standing, but you also want understanding. You, you want somebody that can sympathize with you, that, that can be empathetic towards you, that can weep with you. Now, again, you, you don't want somebody that weeps too much, right? You don't want somebody that says, oh my gosh, that is so horrible. I don't know what we're going to do. This is impossible situation. You may say, well, we, we, looks like we both need a priest here, right? <laughs> this is actually what the text is saying in chapter 5. It says, every high priest, look at the beginning of chapter five, it says, every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So we just talked, that's the definition of what a priest is. 
to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weaknesses. So the priest can actually be understanding, right? Because he himself is a man. He's beset with his own weaknesses. But because of this, he lacks standing, right? Because of this, he is obligated to offer himself for his sins, to offer rather sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for the people. So the priest maybe can understand some pain, but again, that, that's a problem because they also were needy. They themselves were needy. They themselves had to offer sacrifices for themselves. Now, actually what you see in the time of Jesus as you read the gospel, the priests in those accounts, many of them both lacked understanding. <laughs> they weren't sympathetic. They weren't merciful. They weren't kind to the people. And they lacked standing. They weren't holy. They weren't uh, seen before God. But to have a good priest, you, you need somebody that both is sympathetic and holy, both has understanding and standing. And this is the problem with priests. Who, who is a priest, right? Who can actually be our priest? Much, much less as an advocate before others, but much more as an advocate before God. You know, my experience in life is that usually you get let down, <laughs> You know, my experiences in life is usually you get let down. You know, you start to really count on someone. You, you maybe you make a connection with someone. You make you, they they stand up for you. They stand in for you, and then you make a mistake. You blow it. You do something shameful, and all of a sudden, this powerful person that you've met that's kind of priesting for you in a certain way. You know what they do? They separate themselves from you. They don't want to lose their standing. Right? Your sin might threaten their standing, and so there's distance. Or the other thing happens, right? You meet somebody that's like, oh, this guy's it. This lady, she's it. They're, they've got their stuff together. And then they blow it. They make some huge mistake. That's the problem with priests. It's either your mistakes or their mistakes, but there's always separation. They lack understanding. They lack standing, which leads us to point three, which it makes the kind of priest that Jesus is so amazing. The kind of priest that Jesus is so amazing. Look at verse 15. It says, we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet <laughs> without sin. It's Christmas time. And the amazing thing about Christmas, the thing that makes the whole world stop at Christmas is this idea that God came to be among us, that God himself entered in, that God himself entered into humanity in the most profound way. He entered into a woman's womb, a mother's womb. I mean, there, there's no more profound way. There's no more human-like way to enter into humanity than to enter in to a mother's womb. You know, people talk about things like the virgin birth and, you know, the, the incarnation. Is this really that important? Well, yes, it, it, it plants this idea that Jesus, that God, has entered into real humanity in real time, in real space, fully God, and yet fully human. 
Now, that's a hard thing to understand. It, it's called in theology the hypostatic union, that the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus are one. It's all Jesus. It's all God. God is fully God, fully human. You know, as a kid, I, I used to think of Jesus as kind of more of a superhuman, like a Hercule, like a Christian version of the Herculean myths, right? That Jesus was like half God, you know, half human. But that's not what it says. It's, that's not who Jesus is. No, he's, he's, fully, he's fully divine, yet fully human, fully sympathetic, a, a high priest that can actually sympathize with all of our weaknesses because in his humanity, he has experienced all of our weaknesses. You know, we just sang this hymn, and it, it really helps us in this. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's, it's one of the greatest songs. Meditate on the second verse this Christmas season. Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. So Charles Wesley in the song, he obviously has a high understanding of the divinity of Jesus, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, the author of Hebrews certainly sees this, he's Jesus, he's from the foundation, through Jesus the whole world was created, but he entered in. In real space and time, God entered in. He came into the virgin. He came into the woman. And how did he do this? How was he both earnestly God and earnestly human? Right, And again, I, I love the next line, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, the glory of God in Jesus has come close to us through in the person of Jesus. Remember how when we studied the book of Exodus, I talked about how God was among the people, and it was amazing that God was among the people, but his glory was so strong. I mean, it couldn't be near the glory of God without being consumed. <laughs> and so the glory of God was in the ark, in the holy place, behind the veil, behind the holy, the holy of holies, behind the veil, behind the, in the holy place, in the walls. You know, there's all of these veils that in a sense protected the people from the glory of God. But now what has happened is God himself, Jesus our Emmanuel, God himself has come to dwell among us and the fleshy part of Jesus, in, in one sense it's a veil, it keeps us from being destroyed by the glory of God, but in another sense it's actually how God is known. Now you can actually know and experience the presence and the power and the fullness of God in the human flesh of Jesus. Failed in flesh, the Godhead see, right? Experience God, know God. Come, come into communion and fellowship with God. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus humbled himself to live among us. Jesus, our Emmanuel. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus sympathizes with us because he earnestly was human. He is human. He, he endured all the miseries of this life. He got hungry. He got cold. He got tired. He felt pain and loss and sorrow. He wept. He felt separation. He felt need and disaster. He is the symp sympathetic priest. 
He has understanding. He understands. Jesus is that priest that weeps with you. I mean, I love the story of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. I mean, here's Jesus. He knows. I mean, he's already told basically his disciples that he's going to display the glory of God. He knows that he's about to do this miraculous thing, but he weeps with, La- he weeps with Mary. Why? Because he loved Lazarus too. Because he's feeling the loss of Lazarus too. He, he weeps with us because he understands us. You know, I mentioned our elders and our group leaders. You know, what, what, what the thing that makes them good. You know, when I was a younger pastor and somebody would come to me and they had experienced some loss or maybe financial strain or their, their child was sick or they're having trouble in their marriage. You know, when I first started pastoring, I was still single. I mean, so a lot of these things, I was empathetic. I liked these people. You know, I, I knew that I was supposed to like have a concerned look on my face, right? I was trying to be a good pastor. But when you actually have been married <laughs> and you have had a little trouble with your spouse or you actually have had a child and that child's been sick, you actually have like really kind of had some nervous financial moments. Oh, like then all of a sudden you can, you can, you can meet them. Don't you see what Jesus has done? Don't you see what kind of high priest we have? He sympathizes with us. He has understanding because he's experienced this life. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He has understanding, but... He, he says, who in every way has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He has perfect understanding, and he also has perfect standing. <laughs> he, he never sinned. He, he, he never succumbed to the weaknesses of this life. He never succumbed to the miseries of his life. He never succumbed to sin, the, to the power of temptation. He was tempted in every way. Now, what does this mean, right? Because some people will say, well, hold on. <laughs> Jesus wasn't really tempted in every way, right? Like, has he really ever felt like what it is to lose a child? The sorrow of that. Well, well no. I mean, we, we don't know that Jesus obviously had children. Has he ever dealt with, you know, internet pornography or something like that? He, he could have been tempted every way. Well, it's not saying that he had every single temptation ever, but in every aspect, right? The passage says, who in every aspect has been tempted just as we are. He, what this is saying is he's felt all of the same urges towards sin that all of us feel. The, the, the aspects of temptation, every kind of temptation, Jesus has felt. He can sympathize with us in the temptations that we feel. I mean, think about the temptation of Christ, the, the temptation scene where Satan meets Jesus in the wilderness. And the first temptation, it's the temptation of appetite, Right? Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, you know, the greatest understatement in the Bible, it says, and he was hungry. And Satan comes to him and he appeals to his appetites. I mean, how many of your sins begin right there? You have an appetite for something. You have an unholy appetite for something. Satan appealed to his appetite. And obviously his appetite was strong. He was hungry. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. And Satan appeals to that appetite. And he says, aha, turn these stones to bread. But Jesus doesn't sin. He's tempted, but he doesn't sin. He, he says, man should not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. He, he in every way is holy. He's full of self-control. He's, he hungers more for the righteousness of God than he does 
for bread, for any appetite. His love for God outdoes his other appetites. And that's how, you, that's how you'll overcome any sin. I mean, if there's an appetite that's plaguing you and it's leading you into sin, the thing that, you know, there's this old idea of the expulsive power of a greater affection. It's when you, it's not, it's not that you ever have to get rid of that appetite. It's when you have such a greater appetite for God that that appetite loses its power. And that's how you can understand the sinlessness of Jesus. His, his appetite for God, his love for his father, his delight in his father was so strong that he was able to overcome all temptation. The second appeal, right? He, Satan took him to the temple. He said, throw yourself down and God will command the angels concerning you. It'll be a spectacle. Everybody will see this, right? You'll have notoriety. You'll, be, you'll make a name for yourself is really what the temptation was. Again, that is an aspect of temptation that we all face. If you do this, you'll have a name for yourself. You'll have power. You'll have authority. People will respect you, right? We all, in a sense, desire that. But of course, Jesus trusted in the name, not that he could make for himself, but in the name that God was making for him. And so he says, the Bible also says, don't put the Lord your God to a test. I'm gonna trust God's path for my life. I'm gonna trust what God is doing in my life. His, his, his faith in the pathway and the providence of God was stronger than any notoriety that he could have desired. And of course, the final temptation, Satan takes him to the high place. He says, everything you see, it's yours, power, wealth, strength. Just serve me. And of course, Jesus says, no. I'm gonna serve the Lord. I'm gonna serve him only. I'm gonna trust his plan for my life above everything else. It wasn't that these temptations weren't real for Jesus. It's just that his love for the Lord was greater. That's why he was tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. And and here's the the hope for you. (laughs) That's the same hope for you in overcoming sin. It's gonna be very difficult for you to suppress all the temptations that come your way in life. The the thing that will lead you to overcome them is a a greater and a deeper love for God, the expulsive power of a greater affection. And because Jesus loved God perfectly, he could be tempted in every way. He was fully human. He could be tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And because he never sinned, Jesus alone felt the full weight of sin. You know, some people say, well, you know, Jesus never sinned. Well, you know, how did he, he didn't really understand temptation. He didn't really understand uh, the power of temptation, or rather felt the full weight of temptation. No, but actually the opposite is true. (laughs) It's because he fought temptation that he, he understood the full weight of it. You know, if you're trying to lift 100 pounds over your head and you only get to hear and then you drop, you know, in weightlifting, they call that failing the rep, right? You, you failed the rep. You didn't lift 100 pounds, right? You gave in to the 100 pounds, if you will. Jesus is the only one in the history of the world who completed the rep of righteousness, right? He, he never sinned. He, he, he always faced temptation and faced it perfectly because of his deep love for God. C.S. Lewis says it this way, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. That is a lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by 
trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what would have been like to, for an hour. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They've lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it in Christ because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. Don't you see? Don't you see who, don't you see who your priest is in Jesus? Total understanding. Greater understanding. Jesus understands temptation more than you understand it. He understands loss and pain more than you understand these things. Yet, total standing. <laughs> He never gave into it. He was always holy and he was always righteous. And look, when the prophet comes to us, when the word of God comes to us, when we're naked and exposed, right? When God should condemn us, when our heart is really known, that is when this high priest steps in. That is when this high priest brings in the good news of salvation. That is when this high priest, by his righteousness, and by his love for you, invites you in rather than cast you out. I mean, this is the order of the thought here. Look at verse 13 again. No creature is hidden from his sight. No creature is hidden from the sight of God. All are naked and exposed. But look at the very next thought. Since then, we have a great high priest. Did, did, you, get the, did you get the thought of the author of Hebrews here? You're naked and exposed. <laughs> You're naked and exposed. You're opened up before God. You have to give an account before God. I mean, take yourself to that moment. And it's only when you go there, it's only when you get into that moment that you really say, I need a priest. I need an advocate. And that's why the next verse is such a good, we have a great high priest. That there is someone who shows up in that moment, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, he's gone to the very judgment seat of God, the son of God, so let us hold fast to him, right? Go into that moment, he is your only hope, hold fast to him for this is the kind of priest who is not unable to sympathize with us, but in every respect he's been tempted yet without sin. And then verse 16, let us then, let us, those who have come to the moment of the end of ourselves, those who have gotten the paper, you know, may, the United States versus you, but worse than that, God, the God of all time and all nations, God against you, who've realized we're exposed, who've realized we're ruined, let us, by clinging to Jesus, draw near to the throne of grace. Not because of our righteousness, not because of what we've done, but Draw near to the throne of grace because we have such a great priest. Let us with confidence, let us boldly come to God's throne, the throne of grace that, me, that we may receive mercy and grace in time of need. You, have a, you, you need a priest. Who, who can stand in the day of the Lord? No one, but we have a priest. The invitation today is quit trying to live in your own righteousness. Come to the end of yourself. If, 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 if you will spend your days trying to justify yourself, live in your righteous, you'll always hide. You'll always be a coward. You'll never really be known. 
You'll always have to cover yourself up. You'll, you'll always be totally afraid of being exposed for who you really are because you know who you really are and God knows who you really are, but you say, oh, these, I don't let these people know. No, you'll always be a coward. You'll never really do anything great for the Lord, but, but when you come to the end of yourself and when you realize that God in his mercy has sent this great high priest who can sympathize with all of your weaknesses. He's been tempted in every way that you have. He knows, he knows what it's like. He's experienced the pain and the loss and the miseries of this life. Yet he is without sin. And if you cling to him, you can stand in him and in his righteousness and he can lead you to all righteousness. Then and only then will you truly be courageous, will you live. We need a high priest and we have a great high priest. Let us hold fast to our confession of him. Let us cling to him as we draw near to the throne of God's grace. I want to close by just talking a little bit about practically how you do this, how you experience the priestly ministry of Jesus. And of course, the, the very simple answer is by faith, right? We, we come to know Jesus. We take hold of his priestly ministry through faith. But what does that faith mean? How's that faith worked out? You know, John Calvin famously said, we are saved by faith alone, but never faith that is alone. How do we work this out? A few ideas really quick. I hope and pray that we have a faith that leads to a new identity and a faith that leads to new activity. So first of all, a faith that leads to a new identity. As I just said, the key to joy and peace is to quit living in yourself, to trust your high priest who is Jesus. Then and only then can you approach the throne with boldness. You can approach the throne to receive mercy and help and grace with boldness. This is really what it means to be a Christian, not to trust yourself, not to trust something else, but to trust Jesus and to trust him alone. But let's be honest, those of us who have been Christians and who have walked with the Lord for a long time, it's very easy to slip into some other kind of identity, right? It's easy. It's easy to say, well, look at all these good things I've done. You know, yes, I needed Jesus' help then. He got me out of that pinch. But now, I mean, Jesus is going to be really proud of me now. Look at all of this righteousness that I've accomplished. Look at who I am. And we quit living in light of who we are in Christ. We quit living in light of the cross. We we start to take confidence in the flesh again. And let's be honest, this, this can happen. I mean, this, even for the most gospel-centered Christians, you know, Martin Luther, he, we, are, we all owe a debt to him in terms of this understanding of salvation by grace alone, salvation by faith alone. But Luther once wrote, later in his ministry, he says, I have been preaching and cultivating the gospel for 20 years. Yet I still feel the old clinging dirt of wanting to deal with God so that I may contribute something so that he will have to give me his grace in exchange for my holiness. Still, I cannot get it into my head that I should surrender myself completely to sheer grace. Yet I know this is what I should and must do. It is an exceedingly hard and bitter thing for a man who all his life has been mired in his own works righteousness to pull himself out of it and with all his heart rise up through faith in the one high priest. Have you done this? <laughs> Completely surrendered to sheer grace 
are you doing this? This is our whole life together. To remember who we are in Christ. The words of the old song, Rock of Ages, nothing in my hand I bring. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Jesus is such a great high priest, and this will change your identity, but it'll also change your activity. We, we get to know this priestly ministry of Jesus in, in this activity. Let me tell you this. Jesus, the thing that makes him such a great high priest is that he actually enters in. That's what Christmas is all about. God entering in. God entering into this mess of life. God entering in. And, and, don't, and don't, don't, you know, don't let the whole like, way that we talk about the manger scene, um, don't let the whole way we talk about the birth of Jesus fool you. you know, Silent Night, we like to sing that song. We really should stop singing it. You know? It's it kind of given us this like, warm and... No, the whole thing is a mess. Have you ever read the story? Have you ever actually read the story of Jesus' birth? The whole thing's a disaster. I mean, it's political turmoil... Herod's in charge. He's killing all the babies. He's sold out to the Romans. So the, the, the king is, I mean, the, the whole thing is a disaster. The, the king has gone off his haywire. There's zealots everywhere. They're saying that we should fight and revolt against the Romans. The people are totally divided. It's a, it's a nightmare. You know, the economy's not in great shape. I mean, everything is bad. And then, how is Jesus born? Well, <laughs> this woman <laughs> gets pregnant who's with another guy, and he says, I haven't had sex with her. And it's a shame culture. I mean, this is not, this is not you know, sex, love, and rock and roll America. I mean, this is, this is a shame culture. Joseph, what happened to her? What'd you do? Well, I mean, she says it was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, the whole thing is a disaster. And here you have this woman, and then there's the census, and again, it's the corrupt Romans. They're having to go do this. She's nine months pregnant. You ever try to travel with a pregnant wife? <laughs> One time Paige and I went on this little baby moon, and she was like too pregnant for a baby moon. And I like cutting it close with the flights, you know? And that was a mistake because we're like, I'm like dragging her. You know, she's probably eight months pregnant. I'm dragging her through the airport. She's running to get to the airplane. It's It's hard to travel with a pregnant woman. And here's Joseph and Mary traveling across. And then they get, the whole thing's a disaster. They get to Bethlehem and there's no place to stay. The whole town is crowded. I mean, you should imagine, there's no, there's no doctor around. There's no family doctor around. And they have to go give birth to the baby in the stable. I mean, it's the messiest, it's the, it's the worst. It's the lowest of low. Jesus is a high priest because he enters in. He gets dirty. You know, I love the way the old catechism says he endured all the miseries of this life. He entered in. And here's what I want to say to you. You know when you'll really understand his priestly ministry is when you enter in. When you enter in. When you go after the messy people in the messy places. <laughs> I mean, a couple practical things here. First of all, like just church membership is one. Don't be a consumer Christian. Some of you... You know, I know you, I know you, I, I see you out there. You, you're like, well, I come here some, I like it, I love your preaching. And I appreciate the compliment. You say, well, I, you know, I like this guy too, and I like that guy. And you're just floating around. Look, you don't have to be here, but go join somewhere. 
Go give yourself to a people. Go say, you know what, the Lord's gifted me. I want to use my gifts among a body. I want to go serve. I want to give somewhere sacrificially. Go, go, go get messy. And you'll, and you'll understand more the priestly ministry of Jesus. Go get into a community. Go find a true community. We had you know, Spotted Cow the other night. It was so awesome. And, and people were confessing sin to one another. You know, there are some of you that there is sin that is just hanging on. And you're like, I don't know if I can ever get over this sin. Well, you're never going to get over that sin if you're just trying to fight it by yourself in your own flesh. And the way that you go to the priest, if you will, the way that Jesus, your priest, has said to deal with this is to confess those things to God, confess them to one another, ask people to pray. If you bring those things into the light, have the courage to do that, and then you'll be healed. But you got to enter in. You got to enter in. And you'll, then when you enter in, you'll experience the priestly ministry of Jesus in your life. Or what about generosity? You know, again, that's an entering in. Are you being generous? Are you giving to the Lord and his work? Or are you totally trusting in money and saying, it's actually money that takes care of me? It's not God. You want to really believe that it's God that takes care of you? Give a gift that's so sacrificial that you don't know how you're going to come up with it. Then you don't have to be like, Lord, I'm trusting you with this. Take care of me. Have you entered in like that? Have you entered into priest someone else? You want to experience the priestly ministry of God? Go priest someone else. Go earnestly pray for somebody. You, go say, okay, this person that doesn't know the Lord, they're going to be my project, and I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to try to engage with them, I'm going to try to share the gospel with them until they come to know Jesus. This person who's struggling with this, I am going to go minister to them, and I am going to make sure that they get through this death or this loss or this financial thing or this sickness or whatever because I am going to be a priest to them. You know what? When you start to do like that, when you start to priest others, you'll be the kind of person that realizes I am pretty weak, I am pretty helpless, and you'll be the kind of person that approaches the throne of God asking for grace and help and mercy. And you'll have to remember the only way that I can do this is because I have a great high priest in Jesus. See? Enter in. Get in. Get in. Jump in. Get dirty. That's what, that's, that is what Christmas is all about. It's not this like sweet thing. It's this God himself who was in the sweet place. He was in heaven. He was above all of us. It was, everything was good there. And he came to the weirdest and sloppiest, and he came to earth in the, the worst way. But he entered in. Don't you see what kind of priest you have? The one who has total understanding and total standing. Are you living in him or are you hiding in yourself. Let's pray. Father, give us faith today. The kind of faith that changes our whole identity. Not the kind of faith that just says, oh, I believe that. The kind of faith that actually makes us understand who we are as a totally different person. The kind of faith that leads us to other people and not just to ourselves. The kind of people that leads us to use our money in sacrificial ways, the kind of faith that leads us to confess sin in bold ways, the kind of faith that, that leads us to bear with people in loving ways. Give us that kind of faith, Lord, the, the kind of evidential faith that we actually have a great high priest in Jesus. 
Would you, by his word, by his ministry, change us, shape us? Give us faith, Lord. This kind of faith. I pray this in Jesus' name.